You're absolutely right. It's one of our core values as a team, not as a company, but as a team. One of the core values that we talk about, you never practice on money. You never practice on money. And so the, 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 the blessing that our guys have is that they are kind of these glorified public speakers. And we always tell them your first pitch of the day should never be your first pitch of the day. It should be your third or fourth. Hell yeah. Great experiences build great leaders. Great leaders build great teams. This is Building Great Sales Teams. All right, guys, welcome back to Building Great Sales Teams. I know we've all seen the meme of Step Brothers where the two guys are sitting there screaming their heads off like, did we just become best friends? And the guest that we have today is that guy for me. Every time we talk or interact in the messages, I'm automatically thinking this dude is my best friend. Automatically. Guys, we got Mike Bauer on the podcast today. He's a regional sales manager for Delta Defense. He manages 30 plus salespeople and staff. He's built a seven figure cash flowing real estate portfolio, has four homeschooled freedom babies, as he refers to them. And he's an expert in sales, leadership, and team building. His t- teams have done over $100 million in four years with an average transaction rate of $400. I did the math. That's 250,000 sales in four years, which is just insane. Mike, welcome to the show, my man. Happy to be here, brother. This is exciting for me, too. Oh, I got to take a breath after that one. <laughs> okay. So you asked a particular question on, on Facebook recently. And, um, and, and the question was, if you had 10 minutes with a self-made billionaire, what would you ask them? Now I have a theory. Okay. Is, is that, did you actually get a meeting with a self-made billionaire and is it Bobby Castro? Yes. And yes. (laughs) I thought so. I thought so. He's been making the, he's been making the rounds in apex. So I figured as much. So what did you ask him? Did you have the meeting yet? We did. So we had it this morning. And one of the things that, um, you know, for me, I, I get this question a lot, which is, Mike, you've done what you've done. And, and I'd, I'd like to say that I haven't done much. My team has done everything. Um, but we, you know, we to build, put a little bit of credit, we did build a seven figure, uh, multiple seven figure cash flowing real estate business. While I have a full time W2, we've got a, uh, you know, we've got a manager that takes care of all that. It, requires very little of my time. I understand that that's not super normal. And so like, Mm -hmm. I get the question asked a lot of like, Hey, at what point does it just make sense for your family to go and just do your own thing? And what I keep coming back to is, man, I really, really love what I do. I love the people that I'm around. How do I make sure that I'm not hurting my family long-term by continuing to do something that's really fun because I don't want to be the Ed Milet, you know, typical, the comfort, the comfort is in the middle. And then you just get stuck there in these big goals and ambitions that you could have done. You now are stuck doing. And so, mm-hmm. uh, without going into too much detail on specifics, we had a really good conversation and I, I was almost brought to tears because not only did he give me a very gracious 11 and a half minutes, um, but he actually said, uh, that he wanted to uh, set up a one-on-one offline call with me next week and uh, just to go over some stuff. So that that really meant a lot to me. Man, that's fant- fantastic. Congrats on that. That you were interesting enough that he wanted to get have another call with you. <laughs> was- I get it, man. That, that dude is networked like crazy. I remember hearing him and his wife speak 
for the first time at MDM 21. And I was just so excited about how aligned me and him were when it came to the culture of our company and mm-hmm. the examples that we were trying to set for our people. I was just like, man, I'm hearing it from this dude's mouth and he's a billionaire. All right, I'm on the right track. It may not feel like it sometimes. It may feel like a mess. It may feel like I'm like burning down all the trees to save the forest, but I'm on the right track after I heard him speak. So congrats on that. Yeah. All right, guys. You want to hear that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And so let me ask you this, and this is the the most basic question we're going to ask today, and then we're going to get into all the details and everything. How do you go from being one of a hundred salespeople in a call center to one of three that get to launch this division that did a hundred and a hundred million in sales? Yeah. So I think the, the 30 second background on how we got there is six years ago, I was the sales manager at a sporting goods store and I had this plan, just like we talk about, you talk about how important systems are. I was working for a store that for, was a small business, but it was one of very few sporting goods stores that was actually profitable, but it was because of the systems he had in place. My plan and the conversations I had with this owner was I was going to take over the shop at one point. I was going to run the system for 365 days, and then I was going to expand all across the state of Wisconsin where I live. There was some piece of content that uh, that I saw, that I read, that I heard. I couldn't even tell you exactly what it was, but I got this itch that couldn't be scratched in the back of my head. You're thinking too small. And so I actually approached an entrepreneur here who was on the Inc. 5000 list, fastest growing companies. And I said that I'd be interested in a spot on his sales team. This was six years ago. And he said, Mike, that, that would be awesome. I'm really glad that you know what you want. However, we don't have a sales team, but we do have a call center. We have a hundred person call center and we have some openings. Um, luckily from the amount of personal development I had done at that point, I understood the power of proximity. And just like how Nihal Kaiser, uh, man, I've said this like 10 times since uh, MDM, he brought up, if you want a mentor, there's two ways you do it. You either pay for it by time or you pay for it by money. And if you can't pay them or they refuse to take your money, you have to go and put the time in and go get a job with them. Mm-hmm. I kind of tripped in that opportunity. So I started in the call center uh, within two weeks, uh, excuse me, two months out of training. I was number two in the company. Uh, as far as sales go, we uh, created an inbound sales team. I set some records there. And then we decided that this company that we had that continued to skyrocket and grow, we needed to have boots on the ground. And so that's where we, uh, there was three of us that were asked to be a part of this outside sales team. And four and a half years later, uh, we've done over 120 million in sales. Uh, we have 130 reps across the country. And um, it's it's just been an absolute blessing to have been a part of all that. Did I, did we miss a one in the inbound form? Because you had said 30 plus reps. I think you meant 130. So my current team. So up until last oh, your team. Okay. Gotcha. So up until uh, last September, October, I overlooked everything to the East. Uh, we promoted two of my guys. We brought in one outside guy. Nice. Now I just look over the Midwest and uh, I'm very blessed to finally have a little bit more focus as opposed to your <laughs> Eastern half of the country. <laughs> yeah, no, that's pretty crazy. Now that, that makes a ton of sense. And what I love about that is, and I'm just guessing here because we are aligned on this stuff. You guys mapped this out before it happened. Maybe you even mapped it out before you had the guys in mind that would be in those regional positions. Yes. Um, So what we, our sales was crazy. And so what we do, I think this might help. Our guys are all one-to-one salespeople. They first start with a B2B relationship with, uh, with ranges and retailers in the firearm space. But then all of their sales come from uh, home defense, CCW type classes where they're selling a, a membership product. And so they're essentially uh, glorified, uh, you know, 
uh, public Order speakers. Takers. <laughs> yeah, well, they're, well, they're public speakers. They go and they they tell people about a product that they've never heard of, showing up to a classroom that now they have to buy on the spot. And we've got you know countrywide a forty percent conversion rate. Some of our teams a lot higher than that. Yeah. But um, the uh, when it comes to how did we grow? I mean, we went from two point two million to then over twenty, and then we went to thirty, and, and all this. And so we mapped out knowing that all right, at some point somewhere between 150 and 175 salespeople nationwide based on all these calculations will be where we end up comfortably before we have to really start pushing markets. Um, and that's just the kind of the number that we've been going after. How do we get over 150 reps? And then from there, then we can start looking into what are other products we can offer because right now we're just tapping into the market. I love that. And I love how focused it is too. There's one sales medium, there's one product, you know what I'm saying? And you guys are just driving it home. So I would imagine your guys, when it comes to that product, our machines, they've heard every objection in the book and know how to over overcome it, not just one time, but five times in a row, probably, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, and that's one thing I appreciated when I had a large team is that we had one product that we sold. We, we even had, I mean, we had different cable packages, but we had a focused product and mm -hmm. we sold that sucker 92% of the time. We yep. like a, a customer had to like really sell us on getting a, a lower package or a higher package because we knew that was the money product right there that was our favorite one to sell so i do i love the focus what is a pitch notebook yeah man thank you so much for asking so i carry a notebook everywhere that i go and one of the things that the, the reason for that number one is i just know i'm the typical salesperson my my thoughts are scattered but i always have this big vision and I want to make sure that I capture the detailed stuff to come back to because, you know, fortune's in the follow up. So I got to put that somewhere. One of the things that we found, though, is that notebooks are not only good for everybody, but there's a process that we found that works really, really well. When you have someone who learns something brand new, when they first start out, you would think that their confidence is really low and their competence is really low as well. What mm -hmm. I actually learned is that that's actually not true. Their confidence is pretty high. Think about any person that's ever interviewed with them. They're the best thing ever. Put me in, coach. Yep. I don't even need training. But then what happens? You start teaching them the systems. You need Modus. You need Salesforce, the CRMs, all this stuff. And now they get bogged down and their confidence takes a massive, massive hit with just a little bit of competence. So what we created was this thing called the, the pitch notebook. And it's a way to build up confidence and get people fast forward as quickly as possible out of training. So what it is, is a two piece thing in the middle of your notebook. What we tell our guys is I want you when you go to these classes and you're giving a live pitch, every objection and every question you have, I want that in the middle of your notebook so that you can go back and create a, uh, an answer that's confident uh, and concise and that you can just quickly rattle off the top of your head within three sentences. The other thing that I want you to put in there, which I can get into, is subject matter expert content. You're going to get that from your business partners. And we can come back to that. I think it's important. But anyways, the idea is in the middle of the notebook, this is all information that you can reference to be better as a salesperson and become a subject matter expert. In the front of it, though, I want you to kind of like the Brad Lee sort of thing. You need to lower your goals so that you can create momentum. And so in the mm -hmm. front of your notebook, I want you to start putting down every single win that you have, as small as it is. I don't care if the first win is I walked into my first you know, prospect for us a range. I walked into my first range today, put that in the front of your notebook. I walked out with contract in hand, put it in the notebook, sold my first membership, put it in the notebook. Because what I want my guys to do is when their time is, they get, you know, everyone gets kicked, you know, pretty hard in the teeth now and then in sales, it happens a lot actually. 
when they go to that middle to go and re restructure themselves and go, okay, let me, I can do this. I've come over better. I want them to accidentally start flipping through. And the first thing they see is all the wins stacked up. So they go, listen, I've come through, I've done much better with less. Let me just get refocused and I'm going to go back in there and crush the next one. And that's what a pitch notebook is made for. I love it. I love it so much because it's, it's organic. It comes from them and it kind of shows it does it. Writing, writing down things cements them in your subconscious to a degree. So writing down those wins, if they've never done any mindset training or education before or ne never read a development book and this is the first time they're writing down their wins, it can be so therapeutic in a sense. And then just like you said, them seeing that when they flip through it is massive. You know, when I think about the training setups that we had, we handed them that notebook. And I always wanted to create a a worksheet or a work guide essentially to where they filled in the answers, you know, to see if they're really paying attention versus just handing them the sales Bible that they needed and that they could train on, on their own. They of course never went home and did that. They learned from reps. They learned from experience, you know what I mean? And so I always wanted to do like fill in the blank kind of stuff, but that's even better. I love the, the concept of the pitch notebook. And if you haven't realized it yet, if you're not thinking about this for your current business right now, you need to start because you can easily apply this to your sales division, to your staff, to your executive leadership. I mean, it, it applies across the board. Anybody new you're bringing into the company or promoting into another position, the pitch notebook is what we need to start using. That's fantastic. Has anybody coined or trademarked that yet? You know, my guys always makes make fun of me. They said they're gonna they're gonna make a shirt that that says a quote that uh, I won't curse, but I'll I'll use it this way: All my best crap is stolen. Everything I read fifty <laughs> last year. I just take the ideas that I love and we implement them, and then we keep those. I don't think that the pitch notebook is one that I stole from somebody, but if I did, I'd have no problem giving them credit for it. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. Yeah. No, and and I'm of the same mindset. Everything is stolen. The only thing I didn't steal was Kodak. So Kodak is the tenants that I operate sales teams on. So that's the only thing, but it's just everything everybody does put together in a nice little neat package is all it is. Right. And yep. so I, I do have a trademark pending on that. Just FYI. Nice. <laughs> now I got to get one on the pitch notebook too. Yeah. Pitch notebook and competitive positive, I think are the two things that we have come up organically that are just really mm -hmm. powerful when we use them appropriately. And, and I don't think we got any of those by name from someone else. Okay. Competitive positive. And let, let me just take a guess here, right? That competition is a good thing. Competition creates more sales, more than money would. Just, throw, just throwing out a concept from those two words. So I agree with all of that. So what the competitive positive is, is it's actually tying more into the, the mindset that you talked about earlier. Okay. And so here's one of the things that we wanted to do. If you are the type of person that is going to go in and you have a really, really great sales pitch and you close the deal. Perfect. The first thing I want you to do is I want you to write down what are all of the things in your pitch notebook in the middle? What are all the things that you did that you feel very strongly were causes for that success? What got you the result that you needed? At the same time, though, it's very often that I found with my reps and I'd be shocked if you didn't, too. When you get kicked in the teeth, you forget to do that stuff. But that's when it's most important to do. And so the competitive positive is not this altruistic positive feeling of like everything is sunshine and rainbows, but instead 
it gives you a tool for positive action. And so when you have a negative thing, I want you to find what's called the competitive positive, just like the positive. When you have a negative thing and negative outcome, I want you to outline what are the things that you feel were the reason, the reason that you had that negative result, mm -hmm. and what would you alter for the next time? Because when you write that down, just like you said, Doug, you're gonna remember that. And so I want you to find the competitive positive. In a positive, neutral, or negative scenario, what are the things that you can take away to drive action that are going to drive a positive result the next time you have this scenario? Man, that's a massive tool, incredibly massive tool, because it you are, you're writing it down, you're storing it in the subconscious, and then when you get kicked in the teeth again, probably in the same way that you wrote down as negative, uh, you're remembering how to realign yourself, readjust, get back on your, your straight line pitch or your sales pitch, whatever the case is, 100%. Man, and, and that's why, like, I preach role play so much yes. you know writing it down is one thing and then also role playing in that you're saying these same same things hearing the same objections over and over again of course i would imagine that's one day one of your call centers you know what i mean but uh <laughs> but but yeah it's 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 massive i've met so many sales teams that don't role play the only time they actually go through their sales pitch is when they're on the phone with the client and that that first sales pitch of the day or that first chance they get with that maybe whale of a client, yep. it's just trash because they haven't warmed up. It's like an athlete walking up to home base and just swinging without ever warming up. You're going to pull something. It's not going to be as finessed, you know what I mean? And you're not going to be warm and ready to go. You're absolutely right. It's one of our core values as a team, not as a company, but as a team. One of the core values that we talk about, you never practice on money. You never practice on money. And so the, 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 the blessing that our guys have is that they are kind of these glorified public speakers. And we always tell them your first pitch of the day should never be your first pitch of the day. It should be your third or fourth. Hell yeah. All right. So let's pivot a little bit here. You said you read 50 books last year. Yes. And I, I definitely want to hone in on that because it it's not surprising to me at all. Somebody that ha reads 50 books a year also has a seven figure real estate portfolio. There's, there's two major places that books always lead. One is wealth and then the other is enlightenment, right? So this one is on the wealth side. So when did you start down that journey? With the books or with the real estate? Uh, real estate. So, it, and actually, as I asked the question, they both happen at the same time. Um, I was going to say, <laughs> yeah. so, sense. you know, tell me, tell me if you haven't heard this story before. So I first started reading books and I really got hooked when I read this book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Yep. <laughs> it's either um, how to win friends and influence people or rich dad, poor dad. Yeah, that, was, that was probably four or five. Yeah, yeah. So uh, when my wife and I got married in 2011, uh, we're coming up on, you know, we're double digits now with our four kids. And so we, yeah. um, thank you. And so we, uh, we, her parents had a duplex when they first got married, other people that we knew had duplex. And I heard the same story over and over again, which was, you know, I really regret selling that thing to get into the next house. I wish we would have just figured it out. And so we, when we read through all these books, um, our, our plan was basically, let's, let's start figuring out this whole real estate thing. I've, to this day, I've got no money in the market. I, I think I have some money in crypto because it was hilarious at, you know, two years ago, just to be a part of those chats, but it was never actually any investments. Our investments are in real estate. I want something that I can go to, that I can touch, that I can feel, I can repaint. I got the tax write-offs, all that stuff. And that just came from those books. And so what we ended up doing is we bought our duplex. Then we found a foreclosure that was almost 3,000 square feet, which I should have calculated how much flooring costs, but I didn't. Uh, and so we uh, we gutted that. We moved into it. And, and that was kind of our, our beginning of our real estate journey. 
Did you have any any mentors along the way that kind of because you know the books give you the outline, right? Yeah. But there's a lot of little things that happen, like like you said, the the square footage of your first place, the cost per square foot of that remodel must have been massive. But you know, did you have anybody that was able to mentor you through some of that stuff? I had a lot of digital mentors. And what okay. I mean by that is people that didn't know that they were mentors to me and they maybe have to this day never met me, but I, mm. I just, I'm really, really good at consuming content from one individual and going deep on what that person, you know, what they do, what they believe. There's a lot of stuff that I got from the early days from guys like Grant Cardone, love him or hate him, his stuff works. And so yeah. I just, I, you know, he's the reason I fell in love with sales at the time and all that. And so I just realized the power of having multiple doors. I realized, so, you know, to your question, did I have a mentor? I wish I had one earlier. There's a guy named Andrew Salee, who I'm really close friends with now. He's got, uh, you know, I think somewhere around 160 million in commercial real estate over in Iowa. And he's been in, we just bought a commercial building that I, the only reason that we put in the offer is because I sent it over to him. I'm like, what are your thoughts? He's like, if you don't put an offer in, I'm going to come over and beat you over the head with it. He's like, I don't want that. It's in your backyard. Go do it. Right. So I wish that I would have had mentors sooner. I wish I would have understood that. But most of my mentors, I had to follow through YouTube. A hundred percent. That makes sense. Funny story. I've learned from Grant Cardone too, and it's not to sign five year contracts with uh, sales training companies. (laughs) (laughs) I hear you, man. I hear you. I, uh, you know, it's, 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 things where everyone's got their own thing and you know sometimes it's positive sometimes it's negative but you know there's competitive positive right yeah a hundred percent i had a really good uh pr company at the time and they got me an interview on grant cardone's power players and then after the interview freaking jared glant closed me on five years of sales training and then i got home and my salespeople are like oh you know you spent five figures on this sales training we're just not going to use it <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you gotta, it's tough, man. It's tough, but. <laughs> okay. So development is a big, it's a big tenant of Kodak that I like to preach on and developing your guys, not just in product knowledge and in um, sales training, but also in doing life, you know, and I would imagine somebody that reads 50 books a year has some serious wisdom to impart on his team. So do you systemize that as well? Or is that more of a mentor, mentor, mentee relationship how do you develop your guys i have deeply prescribed to this idea of whatever you have can be found somewhere else there is no secret to anything outside of maybe some discipline and hard work and that's not a secret the Mm -hmm. best thing that you can do is you can give away all the information that you have as you're learning it and i believe that that's also not just for a sales team but also for my kids my kids come to, you know, like when we have uh, stuff with our, our real estate, my five-year-old boy comes with, I don't care if he's playing Minecraft, he's exposed to it. Mm-hmm. And so when, when it comes to our sales team, what we have found is we, it's funny, you call it the Bible. We created exactly that this year. It was our Midwest Bible. We took, um, because it's really important if you have ever read the book, The Breakthrough Company, they make it very clear that your mid-level managers, uh, which basically what I am, but your managers need to be a part of decisions. Otherwise, they're not going to own the decisions. The reason why your sales team didn't do the Cardone thing is because they weren't a part of that decision. You, it was right. it was force versus power. And so what we did is I went to my district managers early in the year and said, let's take all of the best stuff that we possibly can. Let's put it in one document and let's make it really simple for those people that just came out of training that got kicked in the teeth 
to be able to get to success in those first three months because those are so crucial. You get someone mm -hmm. some momentum, you show them a way that they can start making a little bit of money and all of a sudden, whoo, sky's the limit. And so they put that together with, with, you know, just kind of a little bit of, you know, I was the bumpers, but they did all of the hard work so that then they could take it to their team. And then what we did from there is now it, you're only as strong as your, your weakest link. I don't know if that applies perfectly, but I think it's pretty, pretty spot on for a lot of sales teams. You know, if you have mm -hmm. one guy that's lagging behind, they can be a cancer. So what we did, we had this sales Bible that now we hand to our guys when they leave training that is built by our district managers and our top level account executives who are their salespeople. So what they want to do now is they want to take the information that's worked for them and now give it to these new hires that are coming on, which naturally starts creating leaders because there's a system that they're teaching off of that everyone's beating the same drum. They're speaking the same yeah. language. And so what we have found now is we have found that although you hear it all the time with, oh, your top salespeople will never be good managers and you should never promote them and this and that, you know, sometimes that's absolutely true. There's absolutely times where my best sales guys, I don't want you managing. And by the way, you don't want to either give it six months. You'll see why. <laughs> yeah. so what we've done in the meantime is we've now given them an out. Hey, if you're I don't care what your sales are, as long as you're hitting your, your targets. Here's the language that we're speaking. And for the new hires coming through who all say, well, my, I want to be a CEO one day, like, you know, my, myself, when I first started working for the company, yep. in order to be a great leader, I need you to be a perfect follower first, run the system, run the blueprint, make some money. And then you can come up with these one-off ideas that skyrocket to the moon, but first follow our system so that you can then go teach it to the next person. And that's just something that we have just really found has worked phenomenally for me, for us because everyone that is saying the same language and they're literally developing their own leadership from within. Oh, I love that. And it makes a ton of sense to having everybody on the same page like that. And then it does, once you get to that level where you are bringing in the ideas and you are actually, so this is something we used to do with that, you know, train the trainer is a good example, right? This is how you train the new people. All right. This is how you train your trainers to train the new people coming in. Say that five times fast. <laughs> <laughs> and you use this document kind of as a punch list, but also as a reminder of where, when and where to do the training, right? And so training may be in the classroom, training may be in the field, and then on what day of their uh, onboarding. And so once you establish that, and what we found is the trainers would give us feedback. They'd be like, hey, we probably need to wait to teach this because they're getting overwhelmed on the first day, whatever the case is. So we say, okay. I'll open up the document, you go in there and edit it, you move it where you want it, or I'll make a duplicate, and then I'll check it out, I'll review it, I'll show it to the rest of the team, or the leadership team will agree on it, and if if we all agree this is where we want to move it, and we want to add in a few little extra sprinkles or stuff that you want to add in there, then we're going to put your name at the bottom with the rest of the authors. And so now you have ownership over that document. And yeah. so that would work so beautifully, because everybody would attempt to get on that document you know what I'm saying? But for the most part, our, our system was dialed in by then. So we had about five people that yeah. were just like famous and infamous, even after they left, if they left the company, maybe they stole some people on their way out or something like that. We, we kept their name on there to let them know, Hey, they originally came from us. You know what I mean? And this is where, this is why they use that system over there. Cause it works. We were the originals that develop it and they were a part of that, you know, and that's okay. We were just a stepping stone for them. And so, um, but in doing that, you create this uh, barrier of entry when it comes to the new stuff coming in where, all right, if you're not at least a trainer in the company, then we, we're not really going to listen to a whole lot of ideas until you've put in that work, that initial filter of work ethic and results.
Yes, you're that absolutely. was always huge for us. Yeah, and that, I mean, how many how many guys have you had when they come in and you ask them, you know, because you want to know what are your aspirations here? I, I subscribe very deeply to this idea of if the opportunity is this big and the person who you're trying to work with their 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 mindset is this big, you have a flight risk. This person's not going to stay with you long term. But if you can figure out, well, they're actually thinking here, and you can show them, ah, maybe I could even get you here. And actually, there's more beyond that. But let me not get you too excited man, now you got a culture that's building of excellence. You got people who are excited for growth. And so I think that's super important that when you have people who are able to be a part of that process, be able to build it out and be able to show others, because that's the thing, show them, don't tell them. If you've got people who are doing that for you and they're on that dock because they're a part of it and they created it, man, it just, you have people coming through who go, I see how well this person is doing. If that's what they did, I'm going to follow the same process because that's just, why would I not? It was one of my favorite things to turn my phone around and show them our sales chat and all the sales coming through and everything. And then we would, we would summarize every morning. My team would summarize the, the day before and kind of put totals and dollars and cents next to it so they could see the money. And then we just turn that around and show them. And then it'd be all over the, the office walls on the boards. Yeah. I see you got a board behind you. It would be on the, on the boards. And then when they would uh, get the email reports too. So we constantly kept the numbers, the dollars, what everybody was earning out in front of everybody constantly <laughs> creating the competition and the envy, you know, on, on both ends. Yeah. It, you know, the, the, the next thing from there that, that has transcribed is the funny thing is our guys now know so well because we have, so we've got 22 districts nationwide. Uh, four of them are within my region. So we got managers for each of those. And then we've got the salespeople underneath, right? And the thing that's really funny is now we've got salespeople who now have a year ago, just a year ago, would have told me, I want to be a manager, have now realized I don't need to be a manager to be a leader. I actually want to be a leader. And so they start reaching out to other districts because they're within our region that created the Midwest Bible kind of thing. And now mm -hmm. they're like, I'm going to go help this guy close better because then I can forever say, even if they never do, I can forever say, ah, he's closing better because I gave him a 5% lift. That, that was for my information, right? But they, <laughs> but they do it in a way that they want to help people, you know? Yeah. And that, that only comes when you try to enable someone to say, listen, carve your own path, but learn from what's already worked and then go carve your path. Yeah, it's, it's, it's one of the hardest things. And like you said, if you don't kind of show them how wide you can go with it, then they will be a flight risk, right? Uh, I think Ed Milet said it best, you know, when you explain your dream to somebody you want to help build it, make sure that theirs fits inside of yours, you know? And so we would, we would sit there early years in the business and dream on whiteboards. You know what I'm saying? And just like you talked about, you knew the amount of salespeople you needed to hit that certain target. We would do the same thing. We'd map it all out, take a picture of it and then put it into uh, Google draw or something like that, map it all out. And then we put it into our op meeting, basically like this is the plan. And we executed to about 60 to 70% of that before we changed products, changed divisions, a bunch of different stuff changed in door to door. COVID happened. Like <laughs> we were almost there, but I'm, I'm laughing right now because remember I told you all my best shit stolen. That is exactly who I got that from. <laughs> oh yeah. Ed Milet, 100%. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. Okay. So when when you're looking at your your sales team now and you have this this real estate thing going on you know what i mean you're educating yourself constantly on a weekly basis with new books and stuff like that what ideas are swimming around in your head what's next for your team what's next for you what, what does the future look like 
So I'll start with my team. So one of the things that even just today we had conversations about is we're, we talked about we're at that 130 rep mark and we want to get to about the 150, 175. But eventually we want to not just partner um, and, and be working with people who have these classes. We want to start being able to help out some of our, our people. So, for example, an independent instructor who has to go and they're doing home defense courses or things like that, they're typically renting a space. But we all know from the marketing that we've learned, well, if you can get a hold of someone who has a list, let's not compete, let's collaborate. And so in kind of the mix of all these ideas, what we're putting together is, well, instead of you, Mr. Firearms instructor, needing to go out and do all this marketing and do all that, what about me as your sales rep? Give me some dates that you're available. I'm going to go to, for example, one of our local real estate offices, and mm -hmm. we're going to be able to create a customized uh, opportunity for them. That's a two hour opportunity to learn how, you know, if you're a real estate agent, how you can make sure that you're you know, being proactive about your safety when you're going through these homes. Now, mm -hmm. on top of that, the second opportunity is, OK, well, if you're a real estate agent, you want to be top of mind. You don't want people to forget those three, four years in between homes about how important you are and how good you are, how great of a service you are to your community. What if I now give you the opportunity to hit your list and get 20 people in? And by the way, it's also going to be free for them. The instructor is going to come in. All I want to do is talk about the product that 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 sponsored this whole event. Whether someone signs up or not doesn't matter to us. We're going to help you with some of that stuff. So that's the next step for us. How do we help our own businesses that we partner with? A lot of times these, these single uh, sole provider ownership, how do mm -hmm. we get them some opportunities that they don't even have to do anything? We just hold the lift and we do all the hard work and then we look like the heroes in the end, which ultimately helps that partnership. I love that. That's a massive education right there. If you guys listen to that and referral partner relationships and, and, and most people would think of going to the real estate office and getting them to sign up, but who thinks of getting their list on top of that and, and promoting to them and getting them to sign up and then bringing everybody in. And guess what you get to do when your, your uh, salesperson shows up to the event, you get to sell more, more um, insurance packages. So that's, exactly. that's massive. That's massive. And so what about, and this is just off the, off the cuff here, y'all, y'all obviously have a list too, mm -hmm. right? So are you advertising? to the people on your list in that area for that instruction? I mean, I know they may have already come to something similar, but maybe that he's got several that are different throughout the year to where you can bring your bring his customers back to him that you already sold kind of thing. Definitely. So one of the things that we found was that a lot of these instructors, when you have what, what we call government mandated classes, if you want to get a certification to have a certain type of firearm or carrier, that sort of thing, you a lot of times have to take a government mandated class from a firearms instructor, get your CCW, right? And mm -hmm. so the easy button for these instructors is just these classes that people are automatically Googling. As you right. know, small business owners, they don't know the marketing. They're just really passionate about the thing that they do and they're the best at it. But the mm -hmm. problem is they now don't go out of their way because they feel like, well, if I try to get you into my next class, now I feel like a salesman, but really it's actually going to help you. But eh, ask me about the gear and I'll, I'll sell it to you all day long. But God forbid, I, I tell you about these other classes I can offer that <laughs> you a better yeah. individual, right? It doesn't yeah. make sense. And have much better margin. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And so it's unfortunate. But so what we did is our, our, we're a national training organization. And so we've got 8000 certified instructors across the U.S. We took a lot of our certification type courses and we broke it down into many classes so that instead of doing an eight hour course, you can do it in one to three. And then what we did from there is we altered it one more time. It's literally just repackaging. And now mm -hmm. they can run a different type of course. And so people that are maybe not ready to go through the CCW course, 
ah, I don't want to, I don't want to ever have to carry a gun, but I would like to know how to operate one safely, or I would like to know how to be, you know, more situationally aware, or I would like to know, you know, how to be better with first aid. Now they have the stuff that would normally be in that eight hour curriculum broken down. It's their own presentation. They can just follow through with it. And then the same thing, our guys are able to come in there. They can be the hero by talking about the packages that we offer. And we also sell people on coming into, Hey, if you thought this was cool, you should come to the eight hour class because it dives into this and so much more. And our partners love us for that. I love that. Do y'all, do they ever put, put together any packages? Cause I, I have a friend, uh, I think he's based in Austin now mm-hmm. and he is just, you know, he, he's a, he's a gun influencer at a very local level. Right. But he, 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 he competes, he trains, he does all that stuff. He's an instructor. And then what I always told him is like, man, I would love a family class that yeah. I could bring my kids to and we could learn firearm safety. That would just be massive. You know what I mean? Do, yeah. do any of them do anything like that? We literally just launched our, our kids' firearm uh, fundamentals class, uh, I think it last, this last spring. And, uh-huh. and it, it's been huge. It's absolutely huge. You know, we, you got to make sure that, you know, uh, one of the things that we talk about at USCCA is that our job is not to sell memberships. At USCCA, we save lives. And so that's kind of like the big, massive vision that we look at. Mm-hmm. Yes, we offer products that do all these cool things, education, training, self-defense, liability insurance. But at the end of the day, all of that funnels to how do we make our world safer here in America? Because that's where we offer our, our, our products. And so when it came to the, the children's thing, there was this massive talk about like, is it too taboo? Because you know now we're talking about children and firearms. Well, if we're not educating people, where are they going to get that information from? YouTube? Because that's a gamble. Exactly. That's, that's a gamble. <laughs> so, or movies or cartoons or YouTube. The worst thing, YouTube kids. Yeah. Yep. And so that's where they put together the curriculum. It's based off of our, our concealed carry and home defense fundamentals curriculum, but based on kids. Same same thing as a women's specific curriculum. That's the fastest growing segment, uh, one of the fastest growing segments of firearm ownership. Mm-hmm. So certainly something that we're interested in because the fundamentals are always the fundamentals, but then you can drill down into specifics on how you apply those fundamentals to, depending on the person. And I love it. Yeah, that's that's something that I've been looking for that I can't really find, you know, because I would love to learn, you know, because I, I have some very minimal training, you know what I mean? So I, I know I need to go to courses myself, but so does my wife. And I do, I want to be able to have the guns around my kids and not be worried, you know what I mean? And for them to understand the, the safety behind it and everything. So that I think that would be huge, but don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole. You know what I mean? Um, so on so where do you think you're headed with that? Because I know, like more recently, one of our Apex brothers, Tra- Travis Wells, uh, mm-hmm. decided to go full time into his mastermind real estate venture and and left the oil and gas company he was with and ended up consulting for them. And so I guess what does your future look like in that regard? Yeah, so it's it's something that. I question a lot about, you know, MDM, you don't see anybody on stage other than Travis, uh, who has a W2. Uh, And so, you know, that's, uh, that's something that I look at quite often, actually. And that's, that was one of the part of the conversation I had with Bobby Castro today of like, just, you know, at what point am I actually harming my family by sticking with the thing that's really fun to do. Um, Mm -hmm. And so what I've looked at, instead of figuring out, like, how do I exit as fast as possible, because I love the people that I work with, Mm -hmm. it's actually really driven me to the passion point of, How do I make sure that when that day eventually comes, I've built up such a foundation that it's not even an event. It's just a, it's the next succession plan. 
Exactly. And so that's where me being able to help our guys continue to be more you know, better leaders and all of that, when the opportunity eventually arises and, and it does just make sense, like, hey, it's 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 a choice for my family that I have to make at this point. Mm-hmm. I will feel very comfortable knowing that we have passed along something that has just it's it's been the, the bedrock of success for, for our team that I won't feel bad when that time comes. Well, not that you needed to know this or you needed my endorsement, but you will definitely have a future in sales team, sales consulting, any of that good stuff. I mean, we're on the same page with everything. We just have different names for it. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Yeah, definitely. You know, and, and I'll throw this out there too to anybody. So, you know, as it stands, if you have a small sales team of five people, I mean, it's, I talk about this in private quite a bit. If mm-hmm. the six years that I've just done, uh, where, where I started in the call center to where, you know, our team is right now and being a part of all of that process and, and all of that, I mean, if I really drill it down, anyone who's been lucky enough to have that would typically have had to do it over the course of 20 years. They'd retire, they'd write a book and they'd tour stages and go all over the country with it. Mm-hmm. And so I'm extremely thankful that, you know, Tim Schmidt, our, our CEO gave me that opportunity to mentor under him in a call center, even though at the time I had no idea. And so I say all that just to say that if there is anybody who's trying to build out their sales team, they want some advice, they want anything. You're a great resource. I know I, I literally can't take payment. I don't have something set up. If you wanted to pay me, I'd be more than willing to help anyone who's interested in learning about some of the stuff that did or didn't work for us to, to just help people grow because, it, man, that's the fun stuff. It's, you know, it was Ed Milet who was on uh, Andy Frisella's podcast. Winning is more fun than fun is fun. I wholeheartedly agree with that. I love watching people win. I love it too, brother. And just like everything else, reps is, reps is going to get you there. And, and so for like, before I started consulting a year ago, before that, I took call after call, just like you're talking about. And that's what gave me, and you know, we talk about this, that confidence coming in over and over again, actually seeing, actually seeing the one out of 10 people that would actually execute on what I told them to do. And then they had success from it, seeing that over and over again, created the confidence. And I'm like, man, I could do this for a living, you know? So that's kind of what pushed me, pushed me to do it. But yeah, there's, there's a, uh, a service that has to happen first, I feel like, you know what I mean? And well, it gives you those reps. Get So get this. So when we created our outside sales team, I was in the, I was in the, uh, our home office here is in West Bend, Wisconsin, our, our national office um, and just north of Milwaukee. And so when the three of us got plucked from the call center, the, for whatever reason, they said, I think it's just because I, I wore fitted shirts. They told me that I was <laughs> better with the, with the Illinois crowd. And so every the first two guys got to stay in Wisconsin. My territory started an hour and a half south, and then it started. So then I got another hour that I had to go. And so oh, I, that was my first thing that held me back, that actually competitive positive. I'll tell you what helped me out massively compared to what you just said. And then number two, here's the other thing. Imagine you're selling in front of a classroom of people. They've never heard of your product before they walk in. On top of that, your competitor who is throwing around different words like unlimited that are not accurate and half the price is pitching before or after you. <laughs> you know, I was going to say you're describing door to door, but at the same time, you know, I mean, to a degree, but you don't really have salespeople coming in right after you and pitching. So, <laughs> yeah. So, so that was my foray into the outside sales scene. I, I had to drive down an hour and a half to begin my territory. Two hours was about average for the class that I had to go to. And I leave at, you know, 6, 7 a.m. on a Saturday. And out of the eight places that I partnered with, the eight classes that I might get to in a day, six of those, I knew 
that the guy from the other company who was half price and, you know, all these things that he was going to be there pitching before or after me. And so when you talk about reps and sets, man, yeah. I was taking those two hours on the drive down. I was so blessed to have those because I was just, I was giving my pitch over and over. And man, I got to the point where I was closing at 70 or 80% on the, on the month. And I just remember like driving down, just going like, I would literally put my pitch together in a way where I'm like, I pray someone asked me like, please, Ask me what's the difference between you and him. And I <laughs> had that confidence because I had done it so many times. And I'm like, dude, you're not eating today. Like, I know you're not married. So <laughs> you're not eating today. And it only took one time for me to go, this is never going to happen again because they sold and I didn't. And from there, mm-hmm. it was literally just a tear. And I was like, I'm not going to let you win. I refused for you to outwork me. <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. That raw salesman came out just now. <laughs> witness, y'all witness, you're not eating today. <laughs> it was, That's going to be the quote. That's going to be the quote me, that we put up for you. I'll give you one more. I remember there was one February that I just made the terrible decision. We're in Wisconsin, mind you. And mm-hmm. we had a detached garage at our last house and I had a treadmill there. And I decided for, for 30, 28 days, sorry, for 28 days, I was going to run a mile every single morning at minimum. And it was one of the coldest Februarys we've ever had, but I refused to quit. So what I did, I started playing this mental game where I would, in order to get, like I said, I'd have an eight, eight o'clock class. I had two hours I had to leave right after about six o'clock to get there on time. I knew the other guy was going to be there at the same time because he, he knew this game. And so I would wake up super early. I would get out into my garage and the entire 12 minutes or whatever it took me to run this stupid mile. I don't know, but I'm really slow at running. The entire time I'm staring at the back of my garage door going, he is sleeping right now. There is no way this guy probably went out last night because it's a Saturday. And I was just saying these terrible things in my head because I knew <laughs> all the time that I showed up, it was game day, man. And I was there to hunt. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it so much. That's awesome. All right, brother. We're going to pivot a little bit here. Yeah. Get into a little bit of the woo-woo stuff. And so to wrap up the episode, I would love to know two things. What does legacy mean to you and what legacy do you want to leave behind? Mm, Love it. This is something that I wouldn't have been able to have a good answer for up until two years ago. The legacy for me is the is the experiences and the wisdom that I pass down to my children that they get to then pass down to their own. I am not about legacy wealth. I would love if I made so much money that six generations from now, one of my ancestors is still screwing up my money. That is not <laughs> legacy to me. Legacy to me is my kids being able to be a part of the experiences that I have every single day with my real estate, with the, the, some of the coaching calls that I do with my guys, if it's, if it's appropriate. I mm-hmm. want them to get exposure to the things that I'm learning as I'm learning them in real time so that they see dad used to do this. Now he does this. Now he does this. I want them to see that. And to me, that is legacy. I want them to experience everything that I'm learning as I'm learning it so that they can then go and make their own choices because I know they're going to screw up. Everything I learned from my parents and my mentors, like I went and screwed it up seven times before I maybe figured it out the eighth. And so I'm not worried about passing down a bunch of money or anything like that. That would be great. And I look forward to doing that. But to me, legacy means the experiences and the wisdom that I pass down to my children and the people around me that I love. I love it so much, man. And how massive is that, that we have the ability to do that, that they get to learn from us in the moment versus us just telling them and then it falling off deaf ears like it did for us when we were kids. You know what I'm saying? Like deaf ears, it just fell on it versus them witnessing it and through experiential learning, actually, and again, we talk about the subconscious a lot, 
actually storing that in their subconscious. So when they come across it as a young adult, they know exactly what to do. They may not know why they know what to do, but they know exactly what to do because they experienced it with you. I love it. I love it so much. I mean, think about it. Our, our parents didn't have jobs like that where we could, you know, I, I brought my daughter to work a couple of days ago and we shot a podcast with her, you know what I'm saying? It was so cool. And that's just stuff that we, we couldn't do 10 years ago, even 20 years ago. I mean, to a degree entrepreneurs could, but it, it, it definitely wasn't as accessible as it is now for sure. Totally agree. All right, brother. I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Probably dropped like three or four things that small business owners or home service-based businesses can execute on right now with their sales teams. Look out, guys, for when Mike does decide to retire from his W-2 position, it's on. It's on. I know one one person that's going to be looking to uh, not hire him, but looking to partner with him for sure. Very cool, man. It was a pleasure to be here. This is exciting for me, too. All right, brother. <laughs> let's get building. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Building Great Sales Teams. We appreciate it. Be sure to execute on everything that you just heard and let's get building. Before we sign off, we'd like to invite you to join our Brickyard community. Head on over to jointhebrickyard.com. Again, that's jointhebrickyard.com or click the link in the description to find out more.